Welcome to Midday Magazine for Wednesday, January 4th. I'm Jordan Lewis. Petersburg's Legislative Information Office, or LIO, recently reopened ahead of the upcoming legislative session. It's an office that helps residents connect with their state representatives and find state resources. KFSK has more. Matt Lichtenstein is the Legislative Information Officer. Part of his job is to help Petersburg residents contact their lawmakers. Well, LIOs serve the constituents, the residents of Alaska, to help them have a as close as possible contact with their lawmakers and with the process of legislation. And Juneau, obviously being a huge state, it's hard for people to be in contact. Online definitely has made a huge difference over the years, but it's still um, tough when you're so far away. LIOs help residents engage at the legislature by setting up a teleconference so they can testify during legislative sessions. LIOs are not exclusive to rural Alaska. Many states in the U.S. have LIOs in both urban and rural areas. The offices help residents navigate local, state, and federal government. But uh, speaking specifically for Petersburg, we focus on a whole bunch of things beyond uh, the legislature um, as, as, far, as far as lawmaking. Um, you know, we help folks navigate um, all sorts of state websites, get state information, um, helping uh, folks um, find the person they need to speak with about various issues, um, whether it's um, uh, division of elections or public assistance or maybe branching out to the federal government, Social Security. Lichtenstein said in December he got lots of questions asking about public assistance programs like the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, which used to be called Food Stamps, and the Heating Assistance Program, or HAP. This year we've had a lot of questions, uh, more than usual. We get some every year, but about public assistance and um, how people can find more information on what's happening with public assistance programs, whether it's food stamps, that sort of thing. And we can, we can give them some ideas of what we understand to be uh, happening in the state, but we can also let them know, you know, how they get in touch with public assistance, print out forms for them so that they can do that. During the pandemic, applying for SNAP benefits was easier. However, many Alaskans were asked to reapply last fall. The LIO in Petersburg is open during the legislative session between December and May. The first day of the legislative session for 2023 is January 17th. In Petersburg, I'm Jordan Lewis. The LIO is open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. It's at 11B in Joa Street. And if Lichtenstein's voice sounds familiar, it's because he worked in KFSK's newsroom for over 17 years. Thousands of Alaskans have been waiting with out food stamps for months due to a backlog in the Division of Public Assistance. Officials blame a 2021 cyber attack and a huge influx of paperwork after the state ended its public health emergency for the COVID-19 pandemic. But sources inside and outside the division say the problem goes back much further. Casey Grove checked in with KTOL reporter Claire Stremple to get the details. Claire, how bad is the problem and how did we get here? The state said about 8,000 people are waiting for food stamps, some of them since September. But workers inside the Division of Public Assistance have said the number is much higher. And it's not just food stamps. The Division of Public Assistance also processes Medicaid and other federal assistance programs. Sources at Providence say they've seen mothers with babies in the NICU wait a month for their Medicaid applications to be processed. 
One medical provider, Heidi Young, says she's seen patients get stuck in the hospital for 60 to 90 days because the state doesn't process their Medicaid insurance. And the fact that the legislature has been aware of this and the Commissioner of Health and Social Services has been made aware of this on multiple occasions and they keep passing the buck. And I I just think Alaskans need more support than that. State officials say we got here because of a cyber attack on the department in 2021 and a large volume of paperwork after the state ended the public health emergency this summer. During the pandemic, there wasn't as much paperwork for food stamp benefits. But when it was over, everyone had to refile. Sources inside the department say the backlog goes back years and is due to understaffing and mismanagement. Okay, but wait, did you just say people are getting stuck in the hospital for, what, two or three months because of what's essentially a backlog of paperwork? Wouldn't that end up costing a whole lot more? It's expensive. But I learned from Jared Kosin, he runs a trade group for hospitals, that if someone's cleared for release from the hospital but has nowhere to go for lower-level care, the hospital can't let them leave. Insurance doesn't usually cover unnecessary hospital stays, so hospitals are actually on the hook to pay. Well, that doesn't sound good for anybody. Anyway, back to the food stamps. Are people actually going hungry? I've gotten emails from Alaskans who say they're skipping meals so their children can eat. That's not everyone's story. For some people, this just means their budget is a little tighter or that friends and family help out or they go to the food bank. For others, it can be really dire, like choosing between bills and food. There are different levels of food stamp benefits you can get that correlate to different levels of food insecurity. There's also a level of fear because Alaskans don't know how long they have to wait. Some people have been waiting since the fall and may have weeks to go. Last week, the state said they have about 950 applications from September left to process. The first source I talked to, Nikita Chase, spoke out because she started dipping into her emergency food supply and was worried about fellow Alaskans who didn't have moose set aside in the freezer like she did. What about the people who are barely keeping their heads above float who, you know, need this money to pay rent for month to month, or they need this money to heat their homes, or they need this money to feed their families. She said she had to skip paying her electric bill last month. But the good news is she called the state ombudsman and her case got processed. So she and her kids have their food stamps now. Yeah, I guess having each individual family file a complaint with the ombudsman doesn't seem realistic, though. So what does the state say about how it's really going to fix this? The state says it's working to onboard about 30 new hires, and that the division director has requested to hire several dozen more. Sources inside the department say those efforts are not sufficient, and one anonymous source said the state is not spending enough time to train new hires on the complex systems required to manage federal programs. If you look at the state spending, you can see that the governor cut more than 100 jobs from the division in 2021. That doesn't mean layoffs. It means that when people quit or get promoted or retire, those positions are allowed to stay vacant. So this acute moment of understaffing has its roots there. State employees say their colleagues are quitting at a rapid pace. One said they were, quote, dropping like flies. The leader of the union that represents state workers, Marianne Ganassius, says it's gotten so bad that worker safety is actually her main concern at this point. She says workers get contacted outside of work and threatened by clients who have been waiting too long for help. They're becoming a little more aggressive and volatile. Um, because of the backlog and not being able to access their benefits. She's not sure the state's hiring will work if the workers feel unsafe. So, Claire, you've reported this in a couple installments. What have you heard as you've been covering this story? After the first story in December, KTOO was flooded with emails and calls from people who were waiting on food stamps. 
After the state finally talked to us for the second story, I started hearing from people within the department and people who help Alaskans get food stamps and other benefits like Medicaid. They say some stressed clients are taking out their frustration on workers, harassing them online, approaching them in the grocery store, calling them names, and even threatening them with violence. And they say this backlog problem isn't new. It goes back years, and that only systemic change can fix it. In other words, simply hiring new workers doesn't address the high turnover rates and workplace conditions that lead to them. All right. Well, we trust that you will continue to follow this. That was KTOO reporter Claire Strempel. You can read her full reporting at KTOO.org or AlaskaPublic.org. Claire, thanks for being here. Thanks, Casey. After Alaska voters chose her to serve the remainder of the late Congressman Don Young's term and then re-elected her, Representative Mary Pelotola was prepared to take her oath of office yesterday for her first full term. But she spent her morning on the House floor where she sat through successive rounds of waiting for a new House Speaker, something that hasn't, been, that hasn't happened in a century. But then again, these are not ordinary times, and Peltolo was no ordinary candidate. KMBA's Rhonda McBride looks back on her fight to be the first Alaska Native to serve in Congress. This has been an amazing journey that we have all been on together in Alaska. That was back on November 8th when Mary Peltola learned she was the top vote-getter in her fight to keep her job in Congress, probably the only U.S. representative to walk the halls of the nation's capital wearing mukluks, hand-sewn boots made of skins and fur in the Yupik tradition. I'm just happy and joyous. Marie Mead is a well-known Yupik culture bearer and says she's happy Washington, D.C. finally has someone who embraces Yuyahak. For me, Yuyahak is just being human to live and to survive, to live honorably. Mead says she felt pride as she watched Peltola practice Yuyahak, a philosophy on life that encourages interconnectedness, balance, and respect for others, even those you disagree with. Mead was not the only Alaska native to notice Peltola's approach to politics and its potential. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, she was able to identify with both sides and was able to connect with them. And I think that was the secret that people seem to really latch on to. Senator Donnie Olson, an Anupiat from the Bering Sea region, served with Peltola in the state legislature. He says cultural values like the Yuyahak are shaped by Alaska's harsh environment. You cannot have anybody that's adversarial. You need to help somebody else if they're in need of food, in need of shelter, in need of friendship, in need of anything. As a state lawmaker, Peltola was known for her ability to work across the aisle. She even became friends with Sarah Palin when she was governor, a friendship that continued even after Palin stepped into the race for Congress. During a candidate's debate at the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention, Palin, a Republican, acknowledged her special relationship with a Democrat. And let me tell you, I've been involved in politics for 30 years in Alaska, from local level on up, but this is the toughest campaign. Because of her, Mary is... And we are in Mary's house, and I know that. 
Um, and uh, love her dearly. I'm as proud of her as all of you are. You saw it with her and Sarah. It was that relationship that was more important than the partisanship, that relationship that was more important than the politics and maybe how politicians treat and regard each other nowadays. It was so inspiring and real. <laughs> Anton McFarlane, who was Peltola's campaign manager, says he's never worked with a politician so skillful at building those across-the-aisle relationships. There are like, aspects of her Yupik upbringing that she would share with me, how one speaks more in the affirmative than the negative. It didn't hurt Peltola that Senator Lisa Murkowski, a Republican, endorsed her candidacy over the two Republicans in the race, Palin and Nick Bagich. But Art Hackney, a consultant for Baggage, says Peltola's election was probably due to the new ranked choice voting system more than anything else and an element of luck when Al Gross dropped out of the special election. For whatever reason, Al Gross, who was the top vote getter on the Democratic side, dropped out and left it all to her. So everybody on the Democratic side was able to get behind her, which means she didn't have to run a tit-for-tat primary campaign. Hackney says Peltola may have bipartisan appeal, but it was Palin's entry into the race which split the vote between the two Republicans and paved the way for Peltola. It left her a free ride to go be what she certainly is that everybody knows her for, which is charming. And that's wonderful. She is charming, and she does know a lot. But at the same time, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. It depends on what she actually does back there. Jim LaBelle, a retired Alaska Native Studies and History professor, hopes what Peltola does is to continue to draw upon her Native culture. One person can make a difference. And sometimes you don't know who that's going to be or when that's going to happen. But when we are rooted in our values, uh, wanting to do good for our fellow man, yeah, it could be just that congruence of time and space that Mary is at that could be that one person. And for now, Mary Peltola is that one person who has Alaska's lone vote in the House. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. For KFSK. I'm Jordan Lewis.